You're listening to the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega Podcast on the Odyssey Robots Radio Network. Hey, 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 everybody. It's me, it's me, it's Gino V, it's Mr. Sensational Gino Vega coming to you with episode 16 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Thanks for joining us. It's another day in paradise here in Napa, California. I just uh, got back from taking a walk downtown grabbing some lunch and walking back to Sensational Manor where I am now coming to you via my blue snowball microphone. As I've mentioned on the show before, um, Sensational Manor is located about 15 minutes away on foot from downtown Napa, California. Um, And so it's been one of the big perks of living in this house is we can just walk down there, get some exercise, and also partake in the amenities that are available um, as far as um, dining and drinking primarily go. Um, That perk has obviously taken quite a big hit um, during this time of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, There's still stuff to do down there, but it's not quite the same carefree environment as it once was. Though, to be perfectly honest, I have started venturing um, back downtown for the occasional drink or meal, as it were, um, lately. This is all outdoors and not really close to anyone and very minimal interaction with any kind of staff. So I feel pretty good about it. Um, I've kind of gotten over... I. I feel like it's very hard to find a coherent uh, coherent ground to stand on when it comes to COVID because the people that I'm exposed to on the issue primarily either are of the mind that it's, you know, the kind of insane Trumpy, it's a hoax, it's the flu, <laughs> which is funny because, you know, obviously we know now that that's not even what the man himself thinks, but his uh, little buddies uh, still generally cleave to this, that um, COVID is not something to be concerned about. That's one camp, which makes absolutely no sense. Um, But then the other camp, uh, my more hand-wringy, quote-unquote, liberal friends are kind of still in the mode that merely stepping outside your front door is going to lead to instant death, which not only does not seem to be true, it's kind of a problematic... um, view in the sense that generally the people that I know that are of this uh, belief are relatively privileged individuals and the people that seem to be suffering the most from this disease are people um, without that same set of privilege that are actually having to be out and about working, you know, to keep keep the lights on, keep the, the uh, dwelling paid for. Um, so it just seems kind of like it seems kind of petty to be someone that is not at extreme risk of contracting COVID and acting more freaked out about it possibly than someone that really is at risk and does not have the means to uh, remove themselves from that risk. Anyway, my point is I'm kind of in the middle ground. Obviously, I, I take it seriously. I I believe in the data. I believe in uh, 
public health experts. Um, I believe in experts generally in, in any field. I'm not so uh, arrogant and uh, moronic that I uh, disavow expertise. Um, but at the same time, I actually listen to what these experts say and realize that, you know, there are very basic and concrete steps one can take to minimize their risk of contracting COVID. And those steps do not totally involve, um, depending on the area you're in and, and case rate and, and that sort of thing, um, doesn't necessarily involve having to completely cut off all contact with the outside world. So again, I'm not participating in any group gatherings. I'm only hanging out with the family. Uh, um, I'm not hanging out indoors other than maybe some brief uh, grocery shopping or something. But I'll, I'll go for the occasional. And, and I like again, I've done this maybe like three or four times now. But, you know, the occasional outdoor lunch or something. I don't know. I, 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 I feel okay about that. I have not yet been in a situation um, eating out, drinking out, uh, where I have felt unsafe or that I'm putting others at risk. That said, I think this is a first. Uh, I just had lunch. I'm recording the show. I'm in a position where I can drop a, uh, I guess it's not live, but uh, <laughs> uh, in real time as I'm recording, a uh, what did Gino Vega have for lunch? I guess it wasn't yesterday, it was uh, earlier today. Um, and what I had for lunch was half of an order of, I guess they were fried Brussels sprouts. Uh, shared that order with uh, Ms. Sensational my wife. Um, so half an order of fried Brussels sprouts, half of a calamari pizza. It was a pizza with a calamari on it as a topping and some other stuff. I think some arugula. <laughs> uh, again, I, did I mention this was in downtown Napa, California? This is kind of what you, when, when you're going out for a casual uh, pizza down there, that, that that's what you end up with. Uh, and one um, India pale ale whose maker um, I do not recall now, but just kind of a standard West Coast um, alcoholic malt beverage. Um, that's what I had for lunch earlier today. If you'd like to hear more uh, of me talking about what I had for lunch yesterday, many yesterdays, I don't know, it's all, time is a, a flat circle, right? Um, check out the... Uh, Stuck at Home show on the IC Robots Radio Network. Uh, every so often, I pop in there with a What Did Gino Vega Have for Lunch Yesterday segment, um, which I guess is neither really here nor there, but uh, the rest of the show is great. So don't forget to check out the Stuck at Home show. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you already are. And if you do enjoy the Stuck at Home show and tolerate the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega show and would like to support what we do here at the IC Robots Radio Network, head on over to supportthereport.com. That's supportthereport.com, where for as little as $1 a month, you can become a Patreon member with access to all of the exclusive content that such membership entails. So head on over there, check it out. Help us continue to do what we do here at the network. Um, meanwhile, you can at me over on Twitter, at SensationalVega. 
That is at Sensational Vega. Throw me a follow over there. I will follow you back. Uh, look me up on Facebook, Gino Vega. Send me a friend request if you'd like. Uh, yeah, we are going to take a quick break. And when we return, I will be spending some time talking about the loss of mystique in the world. And on a very special episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast, I'm going to be breaking some news here about a recent breakup in my life. When we return on the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Loving you isn't the right thing to do. And how can I ever change things that I feel? If I back on this 16th episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. A funny thing happened during the break. Um, Actually, an entire day passed. Uh, I was intending to record this show in one sitting, but got interrupted uh, helping Miss Sensational One, my uh, 15-year-old, with some school stuff. And so now here we are a day later. So in fact, that lunch report was what I had for lunch yesterday. And I'll even throw in a little bonus. What I had for lunch today today was one grilled cheese sandwich. Um, moving right along, uh, what we're going to talk about for the remainder of this episode is, um, as I mentioned before the break, um, gone through kind of a uh, major uh, breakup in my life, a parting of the ways. And... Um, Part of what caused this breakup uh, are some sociological forces at work, which in a way are a counterpoint to um, some arguments I was making a few episodes ago when I was talking about the wonders of uh, kind of online tools and utilities and uh, being able to uh, access content very easily online. Um, So I I guess I should just cut to the chase here. Um, For those of you who know me, you probably know that I've been involved in a relationship for many years. A relationship with the genre known as professional wrestling. That's right, folks. Um, Yours truly has been a fan of pro wrestling since, um, I would say in earnest since 1986 that was on my radar even a little bit earlier than that. But when I really became a full on dedicated fan, the year was 86. I was in fourth grade. Um, I've talked about it on previous, uh, episodes of this show, but I became a fan like many children of the eighties through the gateway of the world wrestling federation through Hulkamania, 
um, through Randy Macho Man Savage. Uh, but pretty early on, I caught some hints and whispers out in the world that there was a more uh, legit form of professional wrestling, that uh, WWF was the the kind of fake wrestling, but the real wrestling, the real wrestling was out there somewhere else. I, I caught uh, glimpses of this in the aisles of uh, a magazine shop in Santa Rosa, California called Sawyer's News, which no longer exists. But Sawyer's News carried the entire array of 1980s professional wrestling magazines, um, and these magazines, uh, some of them would be obviously dedicated to WWF. I mean, there was WWF magazine itself, but then kind of the other lower tier magazines often had pictures of men just dripping in blood, covered in, in blood and guts. And, and, oh, these were the real wrestlers. I see. And then what was confusing to me, too, as a child is sometimes I would see images in these magazines of um, – wrestlers looking like they were having these really uh, authentic, gritty, bloody brawls. But these were, sometimes they were wrestlers I recognized from WWF. And it's like, I've never seen them like this in WWF. What's going on here? And really what it was is, you know, wrestlers would jump back and forth between companies sometimes. And what I was seeing on TV wasn't necessarily synced up with like what was going on, you know, in the magazine world. And so a lot of times I was watching wrestling on, on old VHS tapes. So it was an event that had happened years prior. So Wrestlers involved a jump ship. But anyway, it, the, those magazines, because it wasn't how things are now, um, where reporting on wrestling is always done in a meta fashion, where you're in on the fact that it's a uh, scripted uh, entertainment event. It's not a legitimate sporting event. Back then, the magazines treated it um, at least to a degree as if it were, quote unquote, real. So as a fan, particularly as a, a child fan, you didn't have the kind of up-to-date insight into all the backstage happenings and people's contractual status and why wrestling company X was scripting things a certain way versus uh, wrestling company Y. It was all more of just a mystery, um, which made it all so captivating to me um, as a uh, 10-year-old. And in fact, what the deal was, was that at that point in the 1980s, you had uh, the World Wrestling Federation, which was uh, really turning into a mainstream entertainment juggernaut uh, that was putting out kind of a cartoonish uh, product where the characters were very caricaturish and the action was not uh, violent in the terms of, um, you know, there was no blood it wasn't presented that way, whereas you had um, some of the other organizations out there like uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, which would eventually become uh, WCW, World Championship Wrestling, WWF's biggest uh, competitor throughout the 1990s. Uh, you had them still presenting wrestling in kind of the older style where there was blood. Um, it was more of a, a sports presentation. It was... It was uh, presented uh, more akin to something like what would eventually become uh, mixed martial arts. I mean, obviously, it's nowhere near as, as real as mixed martial arts, but more in that vein. You were seeing more of a simulated uh, simulated combat sport versus just an entertainment variety show, which is more of the, the vein that uh, WWF was in. Now, for me, the thing that drew me into wrestling from the very beginning 
was the sort of sports drama aspect of it, that, that it was a uh, dramatized sporting event. That's the That was the component that I, I loved. Less so the kind of WWF dancing and, and comedy and all that. Um, so the bloody images intrigued me, and as I figured out where they were coming from and gained access to being able to watch more content from WCW, that was the direction my wrestling went. Um, I was a big WCW fan all through the 1990s uh, heyday of wrestling. Didn't like Stone Cold. Didn't like The Rock. Didn't like WWF. I was a WCW WCW guy for life. Not saying I don't, in retrospect, can't look back and see why people, why many more people enjoyed Stone Cold and The Rock and all that. That, but that just wasn't for me. I wanted to see. Guys with mullets, kind of in sequiny robes, going out there and duking it out in the ring, and, and may the best man win. But even WCW had a little too much of the dancing bear circus atmosphere going on uh, for my taste. I mean, I was I was willing to look past it for the parts that I did enjoy, but I always wanted something even a little more um, sports drama. And so in the 90s, I started to hear a new round of uh, whispers and rumors of something even more hardcore, more authentic out there in the wrestling world. And what that was, was um, both ECW, a promotion, wrestling promotion from uh, out of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, where they were kind of doing even more bloody, hardcore brawls. Um, and then wrestling from Japan um, and all the glimpses of Japanese wrestling that I saw, there was literally none of the circus atmosphere that you would see in American wrestling. It was all just guys pretending to be fighters fighting each other, more akin to like a Bruce Lee movie or something than than uh, a sort of carnival variety show. But again, this content was not easily available at the time. The only way you could see Japanese wrestling or ECW, because I didn't live in their area where they had television on in my market. The only way you could see these things was by hunting out VHS tapes, trading tapes with other fans. Um, and some people were hardcore into that scene. I was more on the periphery. didn't know what I was doing. So I didn't have quite the same access uh, to those tapes that other individuals might have. But in any case, um, my interest in Japanese wrestling, in hardcore wrestling, um, grew in conjunction with how scarce it was. The, the scarcity made me even more interested in it. And the scarcity also meant that I never had a complete view of the every aspect of the product. I only saw little bits and pieces. And that, some, that also made it, uh, is part of what made it so interesting to me. Like I, uh, in, um, I guess it was like, like 2005, I got a copy, my first uh, copy of... Uh, Fire Pro Wrestling Returns, a video game originally for the PlayStation 2. And this was a game uh, that featured a huge roster of some American wrestlers, but primarily Japanese wrestlers. And um, the way that they had them in the game is the game was unlicensed, but they had all these wrestlers based on real characters, but they tweaked the name slightly. So like um, uh, Bret Hart, the wrestler Bret Hart was blood love and you could go in and change the names of their real names if you so chose to do which i may or may not okay let's face it of course i went in and changed the names painstakingly spent hours changing all the names to what they really were but anyway this game that had like a roster of 500 um wrestling characters many of whom i really didn't know anything about because they were japanese 
I was able to um, learn about these characters from their representation in the video game, but also because I wasn't actually watching their matches or didn't understand the language, I had to fill in a lot of the blanks in my head about who they were, what their motivations were. And again, that was almost more interesting than um, the actual product itself. You know, the, the real world events and the real wrestlers. Whenever I would finally see the real wrestling via um, videotape, it was never quite as cool <laughs> once, you know, you got past those layers of mystique. The, again, the scarcity is what drove uh, the thing, not the thing itself. But of course, that's me uh, saying that in retrospect. Um, at the time, I thought the idea of being able to access all of this content whenever I wanted, as much as I wanted, that would have been the dream. And the dream came true. Um, by around 2010, it became very easy to watch just about any wrestling event you could possibly want to from any part of the world. And believe me, I watched it all. Um, and I've been watching a lot of it up until about... <laughs> A week or so ago. Now, if I'm being honest, I think I probably knew it was over between wrestling and myself eh, maybe a year ago, maybe even more. But I would try to ignore the signs I was seeing. I was trying to ignore the fact that I wasn't actually enjoying watching all of these endless hours of action in the squared circle. And I just kept plugging along with my habitual behavior, which involved... Um, Many hours a week uh, putting together lists of all the wrestling shows that I wanted to watch. More hours, um, you know, setting up all the different uh, streaming platforms, etc. Necessary to view them. Um, even more hours listening to uh, podcasts of people talking endlessly about all the minute workings of the wrestling industry. Uh, more hours watching or uh, looking at people's. Facebook posts and tweets about wrestling opinions. And by about a few months ago, I, I think it was, it was really starting to become unavoidable that, you know, I'm spending all my time on this hobby and I enjoy maybe 1% of it. And to try to get things right, I decided I was going to get more active on my own end about doing some uh, content related to wrestling. I was going to uh, do a Japanese wrestling uh, website and kind of start uh, doing Japanese wrestling news and reviews. But, you know, I did that for a while and it made me hate it even more because it's like now I'm adding even like I'm adding like a work, a job layer to this uh, extremely time consuming hobby that I'm not enjoying. And about a week ago, I sat down and I was about to start watching um, some more hours of wrestling and I realized, you know what? I don't have to do this. I mean, I could just not watch it. And I didn't. And the world didn't end. And I didn't watch the next show on my list. Or the next one. Or the next one. And then I didn't make a list. And it's funny because I've uh, told a few people, you know, um, that I, I've stopped watching wrestling. And again, I mean, it's in the moment. Who knows what will happen? Maybe I'll start watching again next week. I, it's not something where I have to make this huge ultimatum, but it, is, it has been a big change, a big shift in my, my leisure time. Um, so I've told a few people and they're kind of shocked because like, that's your whole shtick. You're the wrestling fan. And that's true, but uh, I think it's okay to let it go. And so uh, I'm letting wrestling, I'm letting wrestling go. I'm letting wrestling fly free. Fly away, little wrestling. 
You're okay. You'll be fine without me. But anyway, um, as the, the days have passed and uh, more and more go by um, with me putting my, my wrestling hobby on the shelf, um, I've thought about it and I'm realizing what actually happened was that I just overdosed on content. There's so much of it. I went and I watched so much of it. I just really, I've seen it all. Like there's literally nothing that can happen on a wrestling show that I have not seen. You can show me a card, a wrestling event card, and like these guys are going to have a match and these guys are going to have a match. And I, I can see that match in my head without even having to like watch the event. I, I've already seen it because I've seen so much of this stuff. Um, but I realized this is like true about so much uh, of entertainment and uh any other kind of content that we consume because things are so readily available now. And as I said a couple episodes back, I mean, there's definitely tremendous upsides to that. There's also with, with that loss of mystique, you know, how, um, how up can we stay for, for the things, for our hobbies? You know, it's like playing a coin op arcade game at alpha beta in 1986 was a momentous event. But now I have like access to 2 million video games on my television screen that I can play at any time. And it's just, it's not the same anymore. So on one hand, that definitely seems to uh, directly counteract some of the things I was talking about um, on the episode when I was attempting to defend digital content and readily accessible content. And in a way it does. But I think that that speaks to a broader issue and kind of um, is a good point to keep in mind and ties in together with themes from this episode and other episodes of the podcast so far. And I would like to say that I totally planned this all out ahead of time. But um, as we all know, this podcast consists of me sitting in front of this microphone with a vague idea and then talking for about 25 minutes. (laughs) So, um, yeah, this is purely accidental. But what I realize is this is just a great example of the fact that, A, um, we always need to be examining our biases, and B, there are very little, if any, absolutes in this life. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was all fired up a couple weeks ago with this idea that uh, readily available content was the cure-all for all of one's uh, arts and entertainment needs. But as it stands, I now realize I pretty much killed one of my uh, primary points of arts and entertainment interest um, by a sheer overdose of content. Now, does that mean that everything I thought before about digital content was wrong and only um, we have to somehow put the genie back in the bottle and go to a world of uh, content scarcity and uh, seeking out um, VHS tapes of wrestling? That's the only way to, to, to watch the things that we're interested in. No, I don't think that's true either. I just think that it means that... Uh, there's a lot of room for diversity and variation in the world. I think some pursuits, uh, digital content still is king. I mean, I've with the free time, the time that I freed up with uh, kicking wrestling to the curb, I've been catching up on long form uh, streaming television shows. Um, I watched Cobra Kai. I'm currently watching The Boys, and I think that a 
that style of TV show only exists because of digital content platforms. I mean, I know many of us think back nostalgically about old network sitcoms and syndicated shows of the past, and those definitely have and had their place, but there was nothing like when I was a kid of the quality of, you know, the, the shows that kind of, the HBO pioneered, and I guess it was the early 2000s, you know, Sopranos, The Wire, stuff like that, and then all of their spiritual heirs that exist to this day. You know, that started off as a cable thing and then moved into a streaming thing. And um, I believe that streaming just helped the boom of quality. Um, I guess I don't even, it's not really fair to call it television programming anymore. But, you know, that kind of long form narrative uh, content. Um, I think that style is better than movies. I think it's better than, like I said, old network television. Um, and it is a format that really came to us with a shift in how we consume content. That said, I think wrestling was a lot better when it was not possible to watch 2,000 hours of it a day. And of course, your own mileage may vary with uh, wrestling or any other hobby or form of arts and entertainment that you like to consume. Uh, maybe you want to overdose on it. Maybe you have better self-control than me and you're able to uh, maintain that scarcity uh, even though it no longer exists in the wild. I don't know. But again, that's another great takeaway here. Your mileage may vary. My mileage may vary. Different strokes for different folks. And I guess that's kind of a cool byproduct that I stumbled across by doing this dopey show is that um, I just kind of reminded myself that uh, what's true for you today might not be true tomorrow. What works for one person might not work for another. Um, but just to be open, be flexible. Um, there's definitely been times in my life where even if I hadn't still been getting enjoyment out of wrestling, I would have been very rigid and inflexible and forced myself to keep watching it. But I thankfully, you know, was able to have the clarity at this moment in time that it's okay to walk away from it for a while, try some different things. doesn't mean that, uh, you know, I want to try to get other people I know that still watch it to, oh, no, now you can't watch it either, because I, I see that happen sometimes, not just with wrestling, but just in life in general. Um, it doesn't mean that I have to disavow it forever completely. Like I said, maybe I'll, maybe you'll find me watching every second of the G1 next week, though hopefully uh, I'll have a little more... Uh, self-restraint than that. <laughs> so folks, with that, I'm out of here. Uh, let's just try to stay flexible, try to stay open to new ideas, uh, try to keep questioning our own ideas and beliefs, and let people have the space to do what they need to do. Um, with that, it's me, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, with another episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. Sorry if this one was a little weird. I know a lot of people don't give a nothing about um, professional wrestling, but I just wanted to kind of get this off my chest because it was a big change in my life and we'll see how long it sticks. Uh, next week, I'm going to be talking about Amazon Prime's The Boys and some important life lessons that the show offers on yet another very special episode of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast on the IC Robots Radio Network. Uh, talk to you next time. Mr. Sensational, signing off. So high five.